Hey family, welcome to the Catalyst for Change Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders lead better. I'm your host, Zach Pruitt, and just so excited that you are joining us today. So let's dive in. Well, welcome to another episode, and I'm excited to have Dr. Ed Slover on with us today as we talk about the mindset and habits of high performers. How are you doing today, Ed? I'm well, Zach. How are you? I am doing good. So excited to have you on with us. Um, so before we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, and, and what you do? Well, right before we came on, you and I found out we had something in common. You we live do. in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. And so, uh, you know, we're kindred spirits, so to speak. Absolutely. I'm actually a couple of days away at the time of this recording, getting ready to wrap up an eight-year tenure as Associate Professor of Management and Marketing at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. Going back to August of 2021, I started a consulting business, and I had always thought about that during my time as a university professor, but nothing ever came of it. And the thoughts that I had, though, along the way were, gosh, it's really easy to become insulated in higher education. And how am I going to be able to relate to the next generation of students as they come through, given that business and industry are changing so fast? But nothing ever came of it. But in August of 21, I, I founded Quest Consulting Service and had a, a really unexpected but good year last year. And it's, it's time for me to do that full time. So I'm stepping away uh, from GCU. Prior to my time in higher education, I, was, I spent 16 years in the commercial health and fitness industry, most notably as a district manager for 11 24-hour fitness locations in Phoenix. And you know, before that, I, just, I, I had gone to college. I thought I was going to be a sportscaster and realized I didn't want, want to work 80 hours a week, making $18,000 a year getting people coffee. And so I had copped out and went to grad school and you know, got just completely burned, burned out with school and really fell into the health and fitness industry. And, uh, that, that really, it, it was a wonderful experience, but I always knew I was going to get into higher education and fortunately had the opportunity to do so with Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's so cool. So we'll kind of, uh, get started in here. So I know one of the things that you mentioned, um, in your book, your podcast, um, your consulting business with Quest, one of the things you talk about a lot is about just becoming more resilient. We want to talk a little bit about, you know, what do you specifically mean by becoming more resilient? And then what are the practical implica implications of, of doing that? One of the commonly held assumptions about resilience is that resilience is like a tennis ball, where mm -hmm. if you imagine, Zach, you're holding a tennis ball and you give it a squeeze and that squeeze is the struggle and adversity of life. Well, the commonly held assumption is that once we push through that struggle and adversity, the tennis ball simply bounces back to normal. Well, I, I hold a bit of a different mindset with regard to resilience and that we never are back to normal. There, there's ultimately a new normal. And so if you think instead of holding a tennis ball, you're holding a tomato. So you're out in your front yard, you've got the tomato in your hand and you give it a massive squeeze. Well, we all know that that tomato is going to explode Yeah. and you've got tomato juice running down your arm, seeds are everywhere. And you realize in the moment, it's like, my gosh, I, what a mess. Yeah. What a mess that I have to clean up and I've got to work through 
sort of cleaning that up. Mm. And very often, though, we look at the messiness as inherently negative. But what if we actually shifted our mindset to look at what is planted by virtue of the, those seeds hitting the ground? Mm. And so the practical implications of an analogy like that is really trying to shift mindset or level up mindset because we get, we're really, really good at getting trapped in the labyrinth of our own mind, mm -hmm. most notably with negative self-talk. So here's for the, for the listeners, here's a relatively straightforward way to start working your way out of that labyrinth. Anytime you find your, yourself dealing with extreme types of thinking, so you tried something and it didn't go the way you wanted it to, or you'd label it as a failure, mm -hmm. rather than saying, gosh, I'm no good. I'm just worthless. This never, you know, nothing ever good happens to me, you know, those types of things. Shifting the mindset to a more neutral way of saying that more neutral language to say, you know, that situation was challenging. And I, while I didn't hit, hit my goal, I've learned something from having you know, worked through that experience and I'll be better for it next time. Now, all of that is really simple to say out loud. It's not overly easy to do. Yeah, because we 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 have habituated thought patterns, and those habituated thought patterns are largely driven by how we orient with the world. So, for example, you've got different types of control. You have internal locus of control and external locus of control. Well, for those of us that are resilient and are able to push through the struggle and adversity of life consistently. We tend to orient high on internal locus of control, which is to say, I happen to the world. I, I'm in control of my own fate and destiny, and I take responsibility for the positive or negative consequences related to every decision made and action taken hmm. versus those that struggle with building resilience often take an high internal or sorry, high external locus of control orientation where the world happens to them. They become the victim of circumstance. And whenever they realize that they're in this moment, then they start blaming. And we, we know that once the blame card comes out, the victim card is played simultaneously. Oh. And then, and we end up creating this negative mental feedback loop. That's really, really difficult to get out of, especially if we have people in our life that give us attention for it. Mm, yeah. So what, what role does resilience play in helping ourselves, helping others move beyond striving for or seeking out the approval of others? Mm. Well, whenever we take responsibility for ourselves, we, when, and we experience success or failure, we, find a measure of validation or internal validation. Mm -hmm. So another way of saying that is we end up pursuing something for the sake of pursuing it because it, it, we know and believe that it gives us a, a good shot at showing up better for ourselves 
in every next room that we walk into. And mm. when we're able to do that, we show up better for the people we let into our world. Yeah. Now, yeah. that's that's challenging, if for no other reason. And this is the psychological research bears this out. From birth to about the age of eight, we need the external validation from the adults in our lives. Mm. We need our parents to show us what good looks like. Right. And then right around the age of eight, we start seeing this shift where you have this downplay of the pursuit of external validation from adults, and you have this uptick in pursuit of validation from our social circle. Mm. And this is all very normal because we have to learn how to cooperate with other people in order to have any kind of success in the world. Yeah, yeah. But then as we become young adults and we get into our 20s, if we take an objective view of external validation, it becomes largely dysfunctional in the sense that, you know, if I don't get 100 likes on this, you know, this photo or video on social media, my self-esteem is just wrecked. Yeah. And it's like, unfortunately... There, there, there's a lot of neurochemistry involved that I won't go into, into detail here, but we ultimately have to break the habit of being a previous version of ourselves in order to say, you know what, I'm going to do things for the sake of doing them well, because I value doing them well. Hmm. If I'm acknowledged for having done them well, that's okay. It feels good because it should, but I'm not actively seeking it out. You know, that mm-hmm. the, the example is that person that verbally gives you their resume every single time you talk to them because they're, they're actively seeking out that, that validation. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, that's just a, a dysfunctional way of going about living life. Yeah, yeah. So in your podcast, you also talk a lot about um, improving relationships across a variety of topics, whether it be emotional intelligence, managing conflict, whatever the case may be, what serves you or what pushes you to really talk about relationships as much as you do? Like what's the driving force behind that? In, in, in my world, Zach, everything's relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's a relationship with yourself, with other people, with mm-hmm. God, with your job, with your hobbies, everything, we relate to everything. Yeah, And what I'm trying to do on the Quest for Life podcast is just to provide content that might reach the next person that happens to hear it, because fundamentally, you know, fundamentally, the, the content is, is similar in the sense that it deals with relationships. It just, uh, it just takes or tackles relationships from, from different angles, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the, 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 aside from the relationship with, with God, the next most important relationship that we have is with ourselves. Yeah. As I you know, yeah. mentioned earlier, pursuing internal validation versus external validation, mm-hmm. trying to orient how we show up in the world so we can show up better for the people we let into ours. Yeah. So, you know, I would say by, you know, pretty much any measurable standard, you've achieved a lot of success, whether it be in business or academia, and you've turned around failing businesses, you've helped new business startups um, just find their footing. Um, You know, you've won awards as an educator at the university level. 
So in the midst of all of these things and all these things that you have going on, what motivated you to start Quest Consulting? As I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, I had thought about starting a, a consulting business mm -hmm. and nothing ever came of it. Well, throughout my adult life, I've had an on-again, off-again relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And that stems from my father passing away when I was 13. And upon reflection, I can tell you that I underestimated the effect that had on, on my life. Sure. And as a way of coping, I, I, I just kind of, I became a bit of a recluse and I found myself really pretty angry in my late teens and early twenties. And I was angry at the next person that I saw. I was angry at my dad. I was angry at God, even though I, uh, I was saved when I was 16. And, but it wasn't until, wasn't until 11 years ago. I remember this distinctly. It was a Monday morning. My daughter's mother and I, we were divorced and our shared parenting plan had it where I had my daughter every other Thursday through Monday morning. And I, I dropped my daughter off on a Monday morning at eight o'clock. And I learned later that evening that my daughter's mother was arrested for aggravated DUI. Her blood alcohol level was 0.277, so roughly three and a half times the legal mm -hmm. limit. And I knew exactly what I had to do. I had to go get my kid. Yeah. And fortunately, I was able to get you know primary physical custody, which is relatively atypical in most court systems. But and that was just such a blessing. Her in my life full time just became such an unbelievable blessing. And I started listening to God's whisper. Because when you go from a part-time parent to a full-time parent, and there's no guidebook on parenting anyway, it's like, okay, I need help because I didn't know exactly where to turn. So I turned back to faith. Mm -hmm. And Zach, there have been moments over the last decade where I know what God's pull feels like. And so to answer your question specifically, in August of 21, I walked into the, the living room and sat down with my wife and said, I'm feeling a tug. And she gets crazy excited you know, during these moments. And she's like, okay, what is it? I'm like, it's time to start a consulting business. Hmm. And, I did, and I didn't know where to start. I figured, okay, let's name it. Maybe you know, buy the domain name online and then get some people that I trust on the phone, mm -hmm. which led to me writing the book. I had two, two gentlemen that were both consultants that I respected a great deal. And they're like, the, the first thing you should do is write a book. If for no other reason, it's a pretty impressive business card. And I... Okay, I drafted the outline. I sat, started composing on September 27th of 21, published on November 3rd. Wow. 83,000 words in 83 hours. Like, how do, you, how, how do you do that? I mean, I didn't think I'd ever write a book, let alone write it that fast. And fast forward a couple of months, was inspired to start the Quest for Life podcast because my students, you know, encouraged me to do that. Hmm. And in... 2022, I had 22 paid clients ranging from a new startup who wanted to create a dry pancake mix, you know, on, um, 
in celebration of his grandmother to working, you know, for a, a mid mid-sized healthcare company, designing leadership curriculum and workshop facilitation and, you know, and one-on-one -on -one coaching after that. It's been, it's been an incredible uh, almost two years that has absolutely been God inspired. Wow. This is something that um, has just kind of come to my mind um, as just something to kind of throw in here, but what would you say has been the greatest contributor to your success? You know, like what would you, what advice would you give to someone who, who looks at the things you've accomplished and, and are inspired by that? Like, you know, what would you say is the greatest contributor to that? The single greatest contributor without apology or qualification is when I finally put God first in my life, hmm. when I surrendered it and not white flag surrender. Yeah. But whenever I surrendered you know, the, the, the need for controlling every single variable. Now, you know, whenever anyone experiences trauma, whether it's you know, a type of abuse or the death of a parent, we cope how we cope. Hmm. And how I coped was I, I, I would control everything, like hyper controlling of everything, figuring that if I can maintain that measure of control, I'll, I'll never feel out of control like I did mm. when my dad died. Mm. And it wasn't until the relatively recent past within the last year that I finally relinquished it. Wow. I finally put God first. I put God first in in my marriage, I put God first in my career and the flourishing that takes place is fascinating mm -hmm. because we're taught like Protestant work ethic, keep your head down, drive forward, push through the toil and struggle, and there's going to be suffering. And I'm not convinced anymore that that's our default position or the default position that God wants for us. Yeah. Because when we have our head down, what are we missing? How many opportunities and blessings are are there in our in our field of vision? We just mm -hmm. don't have our eyes up to see them. And this this really th this really came into focus for me in mid January, where I was still wrestling on whether or not to leave Grand Canyon mm -hmm. and and put it on faith. Because I this past this this academic year, I know why I'm there at GCU, and I was because I was afraid, and I was really wrestling with it. And ever since I released the blessing that is GCU, it's been calm. Wow, I've experienced joy. I mean, love and peace, joy and calm. Yeah. I believe that's God's default position for us. Yeah, and with the with the recognition that whatever blessings he brings into our life we have to do right by the blessings it's mm. going to require taking action it's going yeah. to be, require doing the work yeah you talk you know very openly about your faith do you ever find find it difficult to discuss the topic of your faith openly you know particularly in the markets that you work in today no now working at grand canyon that that's been relatively easy, even though I didn't do it consistently because it's the largest private Christian university in the country. Hmm. But for most of my adult life, I apologized and I qualified my faith. 
And I certainly in business and industry certainly never brought that up. I took the position that you needed to be a bartender and religion was one of those things you just didn't talk about. Today, I'm bold in my faith. Yeah. In fact, of the 22 paid clients that I had last year, a dozen of them prior to hiring me, I let them know that I'm a person of deep faith. And what's what was surprising to me, Zach, is how much of an appetite there is mm-hmm. for that discussion. Mm-hmm. And yet, given the dynamics of today's culture, with everyone being afraid of being canceled or sued or yeah. whatever, yeah, I'm not afraid of that anymore. And I figure as a as a faith-based organization with Quest Consulting, I figure if if someone is put off by that, and I'm not fire hosing them, I'm not fire and brim, brimstoning sure, them, sure. but if they're put off by that and they don't want to work with me, I, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So aside from your faith, you know, what inspires you? You've accomplished so much in, in your life up to this point. What serves as that driving force in your life? At the risk of sounding cliche, my family. No doubt about it. Uh, 2020 was hard for everybody. Yeah. And the first part of the lockdowns, my wife and I were never more connected. We've been together 10 years, married uh, married eight, and we would get up every day and take walks and just have really robust conversations, and, and we were connected. And another thing I'm not convinced of is that we should uh, we should be in each other's faces you know, 24 seven. I mean, going to work, at least going to work gives you an opportunity to miss your spouse. But when you're in each other's face all the time, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, if that's the best thing for a relationship. And so you have that coupled with, you know, the pain and baggage that occurs in any relationship that came to a head in November of 2020, we were on the edge. Mm-hmm. absolutely on the edge. Yeah. And I knew what I had to do. Yeah. I knew I had to start having daily conversations with Jesus again. And I, I, I knew, I, I knew you know, getting him into our, our marriage again was the answer, but I also knew this wasn't going to be a light switch. And for the last um, two and a half years, our relationship's never been better. Wow. My relationship and we're a blended family. So, sure. and if any of your listeners have lived uh, in a blended family, whether you're the yeah. parents or you were the kids, absolutely. you know, many people like to think that, Hey, this is, this is like a smoothie where you put some fruit and veggies <laughs> in the blender and it, 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 you know, twirls all nice, but you're, in reality, you have to add broken glass and maybe some nails, you know, with it. I mean, so but it's having putting God first has allowed me to have a greater appreciation of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both my biological daughter and my and my stepdaughter. And it really, it, it's a really interesting time uh, in my life and in their life because they're teenagers now, and I've come to realize that, gosh, I, I've done exactly what the adults in my life did to me and probably you. And it's like, teenagers get marginalized. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
what if we took the perspective, and this is what I've been really trying to do recently, is what if we take the perspective, these are really extraordinarily interesting human beings that are really trying to spread their wings, Mm -hmm. and their spidey sense is on it in, in terms of, you know, looking at the uh, at the seemingly arbitrary rules that adults, you know, set for them or looking for inconsistencies in the words and actions of, of adults. My gosh, what, you just have such a greater appreciation, you know, for them now, even, you know, even though they're teenagers. So long answer to a short question, my wife and daughters absolutely blow my hair back. Uh, and I can tell you there was a time where I, I, I didn't appreciate it at that level. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's probably the case for most people. It, it takes um, some event or occurrence or whatever to to really get us to the point where we realize, you know, what's most important. So you're a father, you're a husband, um, you're a doctor, educator, coach, business owner, all these things. But at the end of the day, you know, in, in the midst of of all of these things, what do you want your legacy to be? I've thought a lot about this and, you know, there are different exercises people can go through, like where you would write your own eulogy Mm -hmm. or you would like, what, what would be the saying on, on your tombstone? And I want people to remember me with the idea that he tried to leave it better than he found it Mm. with the operative word being tried. Yeah. Knowing that, when we look at the totality of our of our life, we've probably gotten it wrong more than we've gotten it right. Hmm. And being in middle age, at the, I'm 48 at, at the time of this recording, it, it's a really interesting space. And last June, I turned to my wife. I'm like, you know, I think I'm doing this midlife crisis thing wrong. And she's like, how do you mean? I'm like, well, I, I haven't rushed out and purchased a Bugatti. And you and I are still married. And it, it, she just, she rolled her eyes at me and that was the appropriate <laughs> response. And then a week later, we were chatting again. I'm like, you know, darling, I think I'm doing this midlife crisis thing right or, or at least well enough mm-hmm. because there is the need to die to oneself mm-hmm. if you're going to transition successfully to the second half of life. Because the first half of life, as we construct it, it's largely about external validation, the you know the acquisition of material things, status, money, and all of that's extraordinarily important. Yeah, but at some point, it doesn't serve us anymore, at least in the context of finding joy. Well, what we what we see is a typical midlife crisis is people double down on what they constructed thinking, oh, the next car will make me fulfilled. The next Mm -hmm. relationship will make me fulfilled versus taking stock and saying, you know what, in order for me to get to the other side, I need to deconstruct the first half in order to reconstruct the second half. Mm -hmm. And that idea, deconstruction, or sorry, construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction is not mine. The Franciscan friar, Richard Rohr, you know, actually articulates that much better. Then there's so much so much truth to it in figuring, okay, I I know who I was. 
I know what I was. Mm -hmm. And now I'm transitioning into a different version of myself that will show up better for the people I let into my world. Mm -hmm. And with, with the hope that if someone happens to remember me one day, they would say, you know what, that guy, he tried to leave it better than he found it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, Ed, we are coming to near to the end of our time together, but are there any closing thoughts that you might want to leave the listener with? Yes. I'll leave the listeners with this. If you're at a place in life that is not peaceful, that's not calm, that isn't joyful, consider taking responsibility and really taking a critical look and figure how can I unmemorize myself? Hmm. Because we get, we get trapped in these loops. And, but once we recognize that we're trapped in a negative feedback loop, if we don't do anything to get ourselves out of it, that's, we're living in a willfully ignorant way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And make no mistake, it's extraordinarily difficult to do that. Because as I mentioned earlier, we cope how we cope. I had to metaphorically turn around and go give the 13-year-old version of me a hug and basically say, hey, look, I love you. You helped me get to this place, mm-hmm. but you can't come with me to the next place. Yeah. How you coped then doesn't serve me in my life going forward. And I, I, I have to, I have to put that down. Yeah. So I think in summary, it would be unmemorize yourself. Yeah. That's so good. I appreciate that. So before we head out, how can the listener learn more about you and connect with you on social media and then obviously connect with Quest as well? Social media, I'm primarily on LinkedIn. So it's Dr. Ed Slover. Uh, there won't be a profile picture if you would happen to uh, happen to attempt to connect with me. It's a weird quirk with LinkedIn, but I show up once we're connected. So uh, absolutely love to connect that way. In terms of Quest, there, there are two websites. The first is Quest Consulting Service. So that's service, service singular. Say that fast three times, Zach. So QuestConsultingService.com or the QuestForLife.com. So Quest, the number for life.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ed, for being on with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. All right. That wraps up another episode of the Catalyst for Change Leadership podcast, where we help leaders lead better. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and share. It does help more than you know, and we will see you again next week.